Father, you have exalted Jesus Christ above all, above everything, the throne, unassailable, Jesus, our King, our Prince of Peace. Lord, you give us strength when we are weak. You are the one who looked down before we even knew to look up to give us life. We thank You for who You are. We thank You for Your Spirit. We thank You for the Word that You have given to us that we might live lives that are worthy of Your calling. We pray that You would move freely among us today as You have. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So just a few months ago on uh, December 21st, Barbara and I set up our 8-inch reflector uh, telescope in the backyard so that we could look at what uh, has been called in the past the Christmas star. This is a beautiful sight. You've got Jupiter and Saturn, and they're so close together that with the naked eye at least, eh, if you're, you know, don't have 2020. It looks like one star, and of course it's separated in the telescope, but it was beautiful. Uh, the moons of both planets seem to intermingle. Uh, the rings of Saturn, just bright and, and clear. We have a lot of great memories with that telescope. We've actually had it since uh, about 1992 or 1993. It was on November 18th in 1994 that we had a, a star party up on the roof of our house. You know, in the Middle East, the, the uh, roofs are flat, and we often would sleep up there, put our beds up there and sleep. Well, we had a star party because that was the night that the Leonids were coming through. And as it turns out, it was the first uh, outburst of the new re- return. So they, there was a, it was a huge explosion of meteorites. And while others were counting meteorites... I was admiring the rings of Saturn. They they just don't get old. And so while I was still appreciating them, I heard groans of disappointment. And I looked up to see what in the world is going on. And as it turned out, a a cloud cover had come over. And so that was the end of meteor watching for us that night. But I had noted no change in the telescope. It's fascinating. So I went back to the telescope and I looked and sure enough, Saturn was still there. Rings, moons, and all. And I was able to watch Saturn for quite a while until the clouds became too thick to penetrate. But what it made me do then and now was think of Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. If you have your uh, Bibles with you, electronic or paper or even now uh, back in the pew uh, Ephesians 1 15 through 23 for this reason because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. One of the most remarkable phrases in that, oh, by the way, one sentence in the Greek. I think even in English, we only put one period there. They were trying, but it was like, <laughs> how can you get read that much? Is this notion of having the eyes of your hearts opened or enlightened. That's a remarkable phrase to me. Now, now Kim Ahn uh, is an optometrist. She probably knows more about the eye than anyone else in the room here. And she knows that visible light is electromagnetic radiation that the human eye can, can perceive. And light's a beautiful thing. Do you know on a dark night, if it's free from obstruction, you can see a single candle flame from a mile and a half to a mile and three quarters away. It's just amazing. Now, if you had some altitude, if you were able to get up a little higher, you might be able to see that same single candle flame from dozens of miles. It, it begs the question for me, though, what are the eyes of the heart? What kind of light do they detect? It's certainly not electromagnetic radiation. Uh, for that matter, what is the heart? What's Paul talking about? Now, almost all of us understand intuitively, easily, and immediately that Paul is not talking about the organ. He's not talking about the organ that pumps uh, blood throughout our bodies. He's talking about a spiritual reality that we know that this vehicle that we occupy, that is our body, is not all there is. There's something else. We are more than the sum of our electrochemical impulses and makeup. And we know this. We know it intuitively. Paul was referring to who we are, our real person, the eternal person, the one who will live forever. Those of us who know Jesus Christ will live forever in His presence. But those who do not know Him, they will also live forever. Or perhaps I should say exist forever. But it will be outside of His presence. When God made us, He created us to go on. I mean, So does it make us wonder then that the Apostle Paul, knowing this, moves away from the electromagnetic spectrum, and he moves to light eternal. He argued that spiritual seeing goes beyond natural seeing. That's why in Romans 1, he made this argument. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish 
hearts were darkened. In other words, they closed the eyes of their heart. The eyes where the spiritual light that the eyes of the heart can see. Now understand this. This is not, uh, the problem is not that we're uh, surrounded by God's glory all the time because we are. It's that our need for the things of the flesh is so strong that it makes us heart blind so that we close the eyes of our heart. I mean, look even now with the eyes of your heart. The problem is not that we lack light. It is that we lack the willingness or the power to open our eyes to the truth. John tells us just beyond the beloved uh, John 3.16 verse, and this is the judgment. Okay, so here he is. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. It's a heart problem. But again, in John 1, we find hope. The apostle tells us, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the eyes of our hearts are illuminated by the light of life through Christ. The eyes of our hearts are opened when we look at, when we look at Christ. I can't, I can't think of a, uh, a more wonderful picture than we find in Isaiah 66, 13. It reads, as, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comfort, comforted in Jerusalem. I mean, when you think about that, and you, there are many other verses like this, where the Lord will comfort you as a mother comforts a child. Well, how does a mother do that? I mean, fundamentally, what is it that the mother does to comfort the child? I worked in the PICU for six months, which is the pediatric intensive care unit. Uh, that takes some um, uh, grit to do that. And I also had lots of visits to the NICU, which is the neonatal intensive care unit. And I became familiar with this look. I became very closely familiar with it. It's a loving and longing look. Not always, but most of the time the look was accomplished um, skin, with skin-to-skin contact. If they could touch the baby, they were, they, they were touching the baby. They were, holding, they were holding the baby. And what you saw is that as they held the baby, they would look into the child's eyes without any sense of self-consciousness at all. None. Zero. It was this loving, longing gaze as they hoped and prayed that their child would recover and be soon gone from this place where they're at. And you may not realize it, maybe you do, but it is, it is, in fact, that hold and that gaze into the baby's eyes. That's where the child first learns that they are safe. That's where the child first learns that they are accepted, that they are loved, that they are cared for. 
And when we look at Christ, let me just tell you, because, you know, you know, maybe men don't like this kind of talk. You know, we're like, hey, what's up, God? You know, Jesus, give a fist bump. No, it's not that at all. Just, and you just have to deal with this. You just have to deal with this. He holds our gaze with his tender love. He holds us and he looks at us in the eye and he does that because we are his joy. Now, I'm, I don't want to do a survey, but my guess is a lot of people in the sound of my voice do not believe that. But I hope that you do. You are his joy. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that. Who for the joy set before him. What joy? He's talking about us. He endured the cross. He scorned its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sound familiar? I mean, we just read it in Ephesians 1. Actually, we probably read it four times during the previous uh, service. This uh, amazing thing that Jesus Christ is at the throne of God. And yet I wonder, do we always appropriate enough of God's light in our own lives to see his call on our lives? I mean, when the clouds of trauma, uh, trial or pain move over us, they block out the sun's rays. Can we still see through, like that telescope? Can we still see through to see the majesty of God? Do we have the faith, the enlightenment of those eyes, the hope, the power to see beyond our physical eyes? Or is that all we can see? When we are trapped by our physical eyes, we would despair. How can you possibly look at the world around us, even in our own families, extended or otherwise, and witness the pain there and say everything's all right? It's not all right. We have to see beyond that. We have to gain a higher altitude to see more of the horizon with what God has for us. We must see beyond our physical eyes. I mean, in some ways, these questions are right in our faces. We have this whole worldwide trauma of COVID. I mean, and not only that, there are many other things that could cloud our view. Financial downturns, relationships, struggles with spouses or children or parents. Issues on the job, issues with our cars, you know, challenges with our health. There's all kinds of things that we struggle with. Can Paul's words here in Ephesians give us some help? Well, of course. Let's look in. Let's see what he has for us. At first, I believe this. And this is more a theological point than a particular verse. But it's critical to understand that lenses matter. The lens that I had in that 8-inch reflector mattered as to what I could see through the cloud cover. So in the same way that an optical lens bends light so that we can see more clearly, I see a lot who have uh, glasses, 
There are many uh, who I can't see, but I'm sure you have contacts. Contacts, And then there are some like me who have either had PRK or Lasix. And so this bends the light so that we can see well. And the same is true for the eyes of our heart. What kind of lens do we wear? For example, if the lens that we wear over the eyes of our heart bend the light in such a way that our understanding is that if we live our lives in accordance to all that God has commanded of us, then He will not allow pain and sorrow to come to us. If that's the way the light is bent by the lens that you're looking at, what do you do when the phone call comes? Let me tell you something. None of us, not you, not me, we're one phone call away from being a heap on the floor. I guarantee it. Trust me on that. If we feel that God offers some kind of quid pro quo in exchange for our obedience, you're going to end up angry at God. You know why? Because God never keeps the end of that bargain. Because He never made it. God, I did everything You asked me to do. Every step of the way, I put you into every decision that I've made. I've honored you, and yet this thing has come upon me. You're not doing your job, God. That's where that leads. Oh, by the way. And then we become angry at God. Why are we angry at God? It's because we made a bargain with Him that He did not make with us. Our answer should be, at least in that regard, as Job was. The Lord gives... And the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lenses matter. And our lenses are formed and shaped and given to us based upon the word of God and not some notion that we might have. Second, I mentioned already about candles and the horizon that you can see is dictated by your altitude. You know, can our faith lift us up to an altitude that's beyond our current horizon? You know what the horizon is, right? The horizon is the line that forms the, the break between the sky and the earth. It's from the Greek word uh, horos, which means limit. In other words, it's, that's the limit. And literally, they believed that that was the limit for a time. I mean, as a pilot... When I would take off, one of the things that I would always marvel at is how as you gained altitude, the vista revealed itself before you in real time. I mean, you just, you just watch it just opening up. And it's a wonderful thing. In Alaska, when I would uh, give what's called a PIREP, that's a pilot report. Eh, Alaska didn't have a whole lot of weather stations back in that day. Um, one of the things that I would love to see and love to say is CAVU, which is Clear and Visibility Unlimited. What that means is, is you have a visibility of a minimum, when you say that, of 50 miles. It's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. And it's one of those things that uh, when we look at horizons, and the dependence it is on the altitude, it also may depend on something else. I mean, look at Christopher uh, Columbus. 
So Columbus, you know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Now I want to tell you something about the map that Columbus had on his ship. On the map that Columbus had on his ship when he left out, there was what they knew was there, and then there was just water, and over the water was a coat of arms. And on the coat of arms was the pillars of Hercules. And these words in Spanish, which I will not say, I will say them in English, no more beyond. That was a day when people believed, many, that you could fall off the thing, like it was a waterfall or something, and there simply wasn't anything there. But upon returning to Spain, after finding this part of the world, the king changed the coat of arms on all his maps. And on that coat of arms, instead of saying, no more beyond, it said, more beyond. I mean, isn't that what the Lord does for us? I mean, today there may be pain. We may not be able to see clearly or think straight because of the things that are going on in our lives. But there's more. There's more beyond this. Again, we're reminded that Paul spoke about the eyes of the heart being opened for all believers So how do we see God's working in our lives? How high can our faith lift us up to see beyond the current horizon? This is one of the very uh, difficult pieces with depression that leads to thoughts of uh, suicide where you begin to look at a permanent solution to a temporary problem. But it's seen as permanent because there's no... There's, there's no altitude, there's no lifting up, and sometimes we have to lift our brothers and sisters up because they don't have the power to do it themselves. Third, the light or the power of Christ's life, that is our light. And where's that found? It's found in the resurrection. I mean, Paul's prayer is breathless, really. It's a single sentence. And it's passionate, it's breathless. And why would it be? Especially when he's talking about the eyes, the eyes of of the heart. I mean, Paul knew experientially how vital prayer was for opening his eyes. Especially after he lost his sight in Damascus. And it was a three-day period where he could see He could see nothing, and it was only through prayer that his eyes were opened. You know, I mean, if you look at Paul's life, what you see is that before the road to Damascus, Paul could see with his eyes, but he could not see with his heart. He was spiritually blind. And at Damascus, on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, where suddenly now... In his physical blindness, his spiritual eyes were opened. And then the Lord gave his sight back to him after three days. Which, of course, isn't that not an echo of the days between Good Friday and Easter? Peter Marshall once began a Senate session. He was uh, the Senate chaplain with this prayer. O Lord... 
Forgive us for thinking that prayer is a waste of time. And help us to see that without prayer, our work is a waste of time. In Paul's prayer of intercession, he prayed for insight uh, in the church at Ephesus in particular, but for all, all of us, asking that the eyes of their hearts would be open so that they could take in sufficient light to see the hope of God and, in verse 18, the call of God. In verse 17, he'd already said that his prayer was so that we could have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and to fill us with his power to make us his disciples. I mean, God uses us to fill an empty world that is only full of one thing itself. And we displace that. And we displace that through being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the king above all kings because God the Father placed everything, everything in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, under his feet. And Paul describes this power uh, in, in verse 21. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Christ is the absolute head over all. King of kings, Lord of lords. The future destiny of everything and everyone is in His hands. Now, the problem we have with that is not our, from uh, the eyes of our heart. That's from our physical eyes because we look around, we see the suffering. And, you know, this morning in one of the Bible studies, we looked at uh, Habakkuk. Habakkuk? Habakkuk. Which is the right way. No. That was a question, no. <laughs> there is a glorious ending to this story, even in the midst of the pain and the suffering that surrounds us because of the power of the resurrection and our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said it in Romans this way, in chapter 10 and verse 9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, you could be saved. If you do 17 other things, it's possible that you could get past phase one to move on to phase two. No. It is a one event that's then followed by a process of sanctification. Our eternal destiny is determined by plugging into that resurrection power, because a link with the Lord now, right now, is a link with the Lord throughout eternity. It cannot and will not be broken. And we don't have to be concerned about the past. We don't need to be worried about the future. The Lord of the future will take care of that. And even our past was future at one point. God is not surprised. He doesn't say, oh, uh-oh. That's never come out of the Lord's mind. Our only concern should be for the present. 
Paul wrote in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of suffering in, of sharing in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul linked his future resurrection with Christ's resurrection. Now Christ is crowned with, instead of thorns, but with a crown of glory. And in the power of the resurrection, our past... You know I say this, and you hear this. You probably said it yourself. Again, I go back, I go back to the question that I asked earlier. Do we really believe it? Your sins are forgiven. All of them. All of them. Past, present, future. He forgave you and He's holding you and He's not looking at you with judgment. Strike that from your mind. That is not our Lord. He will look at others with judgment, but He will not look at you that way. It gives us the power to change ashes for beauty. It enables us to love others. It enables us to do good. It gives us that 7 times 70 or 70 times 7 power to work with our brothers and sisters. To be patient and kind. To be all that Christ's life can be in us. This year, earlier this year, and you know this year's not very old yet, a team of astronomers at the University of Arizona, they found two galaxies that they say are 13 billion light years from Earth, uh, but only 670 million light years from the Big Bang. So they, they're uh, convinced that that we are on the verge of seeing the edge, the horizon of the observable universe. Now in this, uh, I see the, the technological power of the human mind and how great and marvelous that is, the things that we can do having been created in the image of God. But it also reveals blindness. Because no matter how powerful a telescope can be or ever will be, it will never see forever. That power is only found in the risen Lord who is the Lord of eternity and who alone, who alone can open up the eyes of your heart to a vision that has an ever lasting destiny father we we pause before you some tough questions have been asked not tough in hard to understand tough in the sense of von clausewitz on war everything in war is simple But even the most simple is so hard. So simple does not mean easy. And I pray that your spirit would 
work in each one of our hearts that we might let go let go of the forgiven past at least as it haunts lessons learned yes changes made absolutely but as it relates to facing eyes of judgment it's never going to happen we thank you for that we thank you for opening the eyes of our hearts. And if there's someone who is mystified about what I'm talking about, may today be the day, as the Apostle Paul says, that you remove the veil. We thank you and praise you through Christ our Lord. Amen.